You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. All right, Gospelite, let's jump into the sermon this morning. Um, man, I, I've got a task this morning because the theme of the year is prayer. And in the month of January, we're trying to pray for revival. And if you guys don't mind, I want to take a couple minutes and just shoot straight with you. Do you guys mind if I do that? No, I'm serious. Can I, can I be honest with you? I'm just going to shoot straight. You're my church family. You guys know me. I'm going to be real honest with you this morning. And if, by the way, if you're a super religious person and you're super holy, you know, just check out for a couple minutes. This doesn't apply to you. Um, when I hear the word revival, there's a little bit of a bad connotation to it. It's like Bill Eliff comes to the missions revival, and he's like, man, at our church, we had revival for six weeks, and we had a revival service every night. And I'm like, ooh. Um, here's what I'm wanting on this. Is there something besides the premium package? Like, is there like a 30-day trial that I can sign up for and cancel at any time? And I believe me, I want revival. I want to be tried by fire. I want to be purified. We read the psalm a little earlier, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. I want it, but not like that. I don't know if I don't know if I have time in a day for revival. And I'm going to tell you what, Gospel Light, as I prepared this sermon, I'm just smacked across the face with the reality. It's not about if I need revival, it's about if I want revival. And I've got so many things in my life I just don't even have time for revival. If God was to do something great in this city and in this church, I'm going to be straight up honest with you, Gospel Light. Man, there's some some things that are going to have to go. And right when I say that, my mind goes back to a teenage boy sitting in a church hearing a preacher preacher say some things have to go, and I'm like... Yeah, uh, I think I'll take the trial run on that. I'm convinced this morning that our need for revival is irrelevant if we have no desire for revival. And my prayer for gospel light this morning is that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us the deepest places of our heart. If we can see that we are being duped, then we can run from it. But if we don't know that we're being lied to, we're just going to live in it and enjoy it and keep going back for more. Pastor Capace said last week, he said, revival is a time of repentance, renewal, restoration, and release. A time where God works in ways that cannot be explained nor denied. My attempt this morning is to show that it is God's plan 
to bring his people out of Babylon and into the land. His people are those who repent and turn to him. And the land is the place where God dwells with us, calling us into his presence for worship and sending us out as his representatives. Now we're going to go to the book of Revelation this morning. And it's almost comical that I would try to preach from the book of Revelation in just one week. You guys know that Revelation is the most argued book in the Bible. Uh, Bestsellers have been sold from this book. And Revelation is a book, can I say, not everybody agrees on it. It's a tough book for us to understand. But good news, gospel, I I have it all figured out and I'm going to share it with you this morning. I was really, I was really hoping for a couple more laughs on that one. Um, No, but seriously, would you allow me before I preach to give you five thoughts on the book of Revelation? You don't need to jot them down. They're already in your handout. And I want you to take this handout and slide it in your desk drawer somewhere. Next time you go read the book of Revelation, pull this out and go over it. I really think it'll help you. Number one, Revelation was not written to us, but for us. Is that right? We got my hermeneutics student down here. Uh, The Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. Okay? So what that means is that the book of Revelation was actually written by someone, and it was written to someone in a real time, in a real place. And it's written for me, yes. But if... I never think about the original author or the original audience when I read this. I don't have a prayer to understand it. That's number one. Number two. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. Professor Scott uh, pulling out big fancy words. No, no, no. No, Be, be serious with me. You need to know this. Apocalyptic literature is literature, it's a vision that's to be uh, gazed into. It's a picture that's to be gazed into. It is not a secret code that's to be deciphered. With all the humility in my heart, if you have books at home, and they're on prophecy in the book of Revelation... and they have a calculator out, and they're punching in all the, the numbers throw the books away. I'm just being humbly serious. Um, It's a picture that we gaze into. And by the way, because of this, not everybody comes to the same conclusion when they gaze into the picture. So, so, So let me say this. If you don't know it's a picture and you think it's a secret code, you'll never have a prayer. But now that we know it's a picture, I run down to Kevin's office, and I'm like, hey, Kevin, I'm reading the book of Revelation, and it's saying this. And I'm like, what does that mean? And Kevin's like, well, I mean, some people say this, some people say this. I don't know, maybe this. What do you think? I'm like, eh, maybe, but what about this? You see what I'm saying? It's not as if we all just agree on everything in the book of Revelation. But the starting place is to realize that it's apocalyptic literature. It's a picture to be stared into. And that's point number two. Point number three, this is the most important one. If the book of Revelation is like a painting, 
Each and every stroke is painted using the Old Testament. There are over 500 direct references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation and over 1,000 allusions. What does that mean? That means if you have never read the Old Testament, especially Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Psalms, and Joel, if you haven't read those books, don't read the book of Revelation. I'm I'm being serious. Because if you are not well read in the Old Testament, you do not have a prayer with the book of Revelation. Now let me stop right there because I don't want to discourage you. To discourage you would be to say, hey, uh, I'm a Bible scholar and I have the book of Revelation figured out and you got to come to me and I'll tell you what it says. No, 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 no. My whole lot in life is to get people like you. Some of you have already read the book of Revelation many times and you understand it. Some of you understand it better than I do. But for people who haven't read it, you haven't read it because you think it's boring or that we can't understand it. And my goal is to get you interested in it because I think the American church needs the book of Revelation. John's audience needed it, and we need it. And unless we understand the book of Revelation, we're going to be duped. All right, number four. Revelation is meant to be read through the lens of already but not yet. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus is king. Can someone say amen? Uh, But not yet. Uh, Jesus is on the throne and he's ruling and he... But not yet. He has delivered us from Babylon, from the kingdom of darkness. But not yet. So it's true, but it's not completely true or it's not fully true. It hasn't all happened yet, but it has happened. You see what I'm doing there? God destroys Babylon already, but not yet. We have won the victory. But look around us. Look at the world. I have people all the time, for whatever reason, God puts atheists into my path. I love it. I mean, I'm an apologetics teacher. But one of the common things that atheists say to me is, oh, your God is the true God, and, like, he's the king, and he's in charge. Like, look around the world. Hmm. Already, but not yet. If we will view the book of Revelation through that lens, all of a sudden light bulbs start to turn on. And number five, the events in Revelation are not linear, but recapitulatory. Now that's the last big word that I'll use this morning, but it's a really important concept. And here's the concept. We don't start in Revelation 1, and this is a certain time. And then we go all the way forward and we get to Revelation 22. And this is the day when all things are better, new heavens, new earth. That's not how the book works. After the letters to the churches, we have the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And then we have this cycle of the same events happening three different times. 
Now that's all I'll say about it. And if you want to come to my office, we can sit down. I'd love to geek out about this kind of stuff. But I just want to throw that in there for us to keep in mind. John is leading us forward through the church age to the day of the Lord. Now what's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is when Jesus returns and wins the victory. He kicks Babylon out and he rules. All sin and evil and death is, boom, gone. And he rules. It's the consummation of his kingdom. It's when he finally wins the victory. All right? And that story, the day of the Lord, is told three times at the end of Revelation in a cycle. Now, where we find ourselves this morning in Revelation 18 is right in the middle of one of these cycles. And in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, we have Babylon, and Babylon is a harlot. Now, take that piece of information and hang on to it, because we're going to get back to it, because it's super, super, super important. Look at your neighbor and say, it's important. Okay, Babylon is a, say it, a harlot, a prostitute, a whore. That's important. we got to know that. In Revelation 17 and 18, Babylon is the whore, and God destroys Babylon once and for good. Babylon is no more. And then we enter into another cycle of the day of the Lord before the new Jerusalem. Today, we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 18. I wish we had the time to read 17, 18, and 19, but do it when you get home. Verse number one. After all this, another angel, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority. And of course, angels in the Bible are messengers from Yahweh. And the earth grew bright with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. There's another one for you to tuck away in your pocket for later. She's a home of demons. You say, uh, Scott, that sounds like uh, the spiritual realm. Good, you got it. Remember last week, Pastor Capaci said, this battle is a cosmic battle? What does that mean? That means it's not just flesh and blood, right? Babylon has made itself a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. Who fell because of her passionate immorality? All the nations. Now, does it sound like Babylon is one of those nations? No. It's something more than that. Tuck that thought away. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. Now, spoiler alert. Are you ready for this? The merchants of the world have grown rich because of Babylon. If you read tonight the rest of the chapter, you're going to find out that the merchants are wealthy, right? They have a lot of stuff to trade. But when Babylon's destroyed, 
they have no one to sell it to. So you can just hear this and check out for the rest of the sermon, okay? Babylon is destroyed, and it leaves the people who did trade in Babylon empty with nothing. Hmm. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Now that is the text, and that is the sermon. Come away from her, who's her? Babylon, and who are my people? Well, it's going to take me about 20 minutes to explain that to you today, and we'll get there. John sees a vision, and in his vision, he sees Babylon being destroyed, and the message from Jesus through John to the people is get out of Babylon or you're going to be destroyed with her. Now, if you have a reference Bible, you're going to have quite a few references next to this. Uh, You're going to have Genesis 19.15. This is when Lot gets out of Sodom and the angel takes him and says, get out. You're going to have Isaiah 48. We're going to come back to that later. You're going to have Jeremiah 51. We're going to come back to that later. And you're going to have 2 Corinthians 6.17 where Paul says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my people. And we'll get to that later too. Come out of Babylon or you're going to be destroyed with her. Take no part in her sin, for her sins are piled as high as heaven. And God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty. For all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others. So brew twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury. So match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart. I am the queen of my throne. I am no helpless widow. I have no reason to mourn. Therefore these plagues will overtake her in a single day. The day of the Lord. Death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. Now let me say this. If we view this text as something that happens way down the road at the end times, then... We can just go about our merry lives and we don't have anything to worry about um, and we're just watching for it. Maybe Hitler and uh, Germany are Babylon and the Antichrist. Oh, maybe it's uh, Putin and Russia. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, preachers would get up and be like, it's the Pope. I mean, we can just look at everyone out there and say, that's Babylon, that's the Antichrist, and look at us here in America. We're a holy nation and we're wonderful. Amen. Oh, hold up. I want to challenge us this morning to identify Babylon and to help us to see that we really, really like Babylon. That's my goal this morning. Now I'm going to take a little bit of time and I'm going to explain three things. Number one, who was or is Babylon? 
Number two, who were are my people? And number three, what does it mean for my people to come out of Babylon? Now we have a hint right away, and this is simple. By the way, some of you high schoolers, I saw you before the service, and I said, hey, I thought of you while I prepared this. I really did. This is on a level, it's not quite, it's, it's going to be over Dylan, it's going to be over your son there. It really is. He's my buddy. Love him. It's going to be over him. But high schoolers, this is not over you. You can get this. You've got to stay with me. And I'm going to say something right now. I promise you, all of you, if you will stay with me, this is a unique sermon. This is a little bit of a strange sermon. You're going to have to stay with me from start to finish. If you check out at any point, you're going to come back in and it's going to be like, what is he talking about? But I promise you, high schoolers, you can get this with me. We have a hint right away that when John talks about Babylon, he's not talking about something that's there right then because Babylon has not existed for 700 years. Whatever Babylon is talking about, it's not talking about an empire that was. It's talking about something that's to come. And Babylon is something that all the nations drink the wine of her adultery. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is what Pastor Capace suggested to us last week, that this battle that we're in is cosmic. That is to say, Babylon is more than one nation. It's a system. Now to explain that, you're going to have to stay with me. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. To explain this, I want to walk us through the Bible, and I want to explain exile. Because exile is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. Now, if you're a new believer, you pick the perfect week to come. Because what I'm actually going to do right now is I'm going to walk us all the way through the Bible. And obviously, I'm only going to do this in 10 minutes. I'm not going to cover everything. But I'm going to give us the general idea, and I'm going to do it through the lens of exile. It all started in the beginning in a big garden. It did. It started in a garden. And what do we think of when we think of a garden? An abundance. There's enough of everything. No one's without. Everyone has all they need. And God created human beings to be in charge of the garden. They're to cultivate the ground. But the garden doesn't cover the whole world. The garden is in Eden. And the command to humans is for humans to be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. And they're to cultivate the garden. So the picture that we get is the garden is going out and out and out and out. Humans are made in his likeness. They're made in his image. They represent him. And they're to go and fill the earth with the abundance of God's goodness as his representatives. Are you with me? The idea is that the whole world will be filled with image bearers in a big whopping garden. And who walks in the middle of the garden? Yahweh. He walks with his people and his presence is going to cover the whole earth. How many of you think that sounds like a really cool idea? Oh, it was a good idea, but it didn't work. 
Now, some scholars, and I'm not decided on this, but I'm leaning this way. Some scholars, Hebrew scholars, who know Hebrew way better than I do, suggest that in Genesis chapter 3, it's not just the fall of man, it's the fall of man and the spiritual realm as they collaborate together. I don't know. I'm not a scholar. But either way, Genesis 3, we have the human beings and the spiritual beings collaborating together against God to usurp his authority. What does that mean? They want to wiggle out from under his control. And how does the serpent convince man to do it? God doesn't care about you. So what do we have? We have humans who listen to the serpent and they rebel against God. Now what happens next? Exile. Humans are pushed out of the garden. And are they pushed out of the garden because God hates humans? Because they've sinned now and he hates them. He only loved them because they were doing what he told them to do. No, 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 no. The exile was for them to leave the presence of God and, hey, humans, you want to partner with the spiritual realm? You want them to be in control? Uh, Try that for yourselves. He kicks them out. In Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, holy smoke. You talk about decay, it gets bad real fast. And we've got the ark thing. Maybe someday I'll preach a sermon on the ark. It's amazing. But what I want to highlight is Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Now, you've got to stay with me. This is so interesting, I promise. Stay with me. In Genesis chapter 10, we meet a dude named Nimrod. And Nimrod has become famous because he's a mighty warrior and a mighty hunter. Now, what does that mean? He's a mighty warrior and he's a mighty hunter. Um, He kills humans and he kills animals. That's it. And now, in Genesis chapter 10, we find out that Nimrod is gathering to himself people and building cities. Hmm, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? God tells the people, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Nimrod says, I'm in control. In the garden, there's an abundance and everyone has enough and no creature lives at the expense of another. Now Nimrod's in charge and everybody's his slave. Oh, I had so much fun studying this, this week. I'm going to introduce you in a second to a, a lady. She's a Hebrew scholar. Her name is Carmen Joy Imes. Carmen believes, and honestly, at this point of my life, I'm just studying. I'm enjoying it. I'm taking in different opinions, and it's fun. I think Carmen might be onto something here, but if you disagree with me, that's okay. Carmen says in Genesis chapter 11, everybody was of one language. She says that's because... Nimrod forced them to learn his language, and it was an imperial language. It was to control them. God says, I want you to scatter. Nimrod says, come in under my authority. Now, whatever you believe about it, here's what we do know. We know that the people at the Tower of Babylon wanted to make a name for themselves. Hmm. I want you to represent Yahweh to the world. You're going to bear my name. You're going to represent me. And they said, we want to bear a name for ourselves. I don't want to get ahead in the sermon. 
but why do you think it is that people want to make a name for themselves? Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that the name that they already have, they don't feel adequate? They feel insecure. They don't feel like they're somebody. And so I have to impress you to make a name for myself. And I'm trying to be someone that I'm not so that you'll be impressed with me so I can make a name for myself. Wow. Okay, let's go back. We'll get to that later. Guys, this is so amazing. Do you know what happens right after the Tower of Babel? Like literally the next verse. God calls for himself Abraham. Now hold up. I got to go back and explain something real quick or you won't understand the significance of that. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, we find out what happened at the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 10, we have 70 nations. How many nations, Gospelite? 70, go count them. There's 70 nations in Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis chapter 11, they're all in the Mesopotamian area. Nimrod calls all of them to himself. They're building a tower. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, we find out that God, when he scattered the nation, he designated the nations to the false gods. Hmm. Remember the spiritual realm? Remember the cosmic realm? The cosmic thing Pastor Capace mentioned. Remember Paul? All my high schoolers memorized this passage. Paul says thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Scott, are you telling me that there are throne, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world? Yeah, Paul is telling us this. And in Deuteronomy 32, God takes the 70 nations and he gives them to the gods. Now, why is God doing this? Because they want it. They want the gods to rule them, which I'll go into it another time because the Tower of Babel was for the gods to come down. Another story another time. I don't have time today, but here's the point, gospel light. The point is that God says to the nations the same thing he said to Adam and Eve. You want them as your authority. Have it. But God loved them, and God chose for himself one man in Abraham so that through the one, God could bless the many. Listen to me carefully. If you don't hear anything else I say, election, God choosing Abraham, it was not about God loves Abraham and hates everybody else. No, 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 no. Go read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. God blessed Abraham so that Abraham would be a light and a blessing to the nations. Abraham was God's representative and when Abraham represented God, all the nations would know who the one true God is. All right. I'm going to give it to you like I give it to the high schoolers. Um, the world is spiraling out of control, and they're killing each other. I mean, literally, humanity, go read the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It's a madhouse. No connection to madhouse. Um, it, it, it's, it's crazy, and God wants to restore them. And so God's like, hey, uh, you are going to be on my team. I'm going to give you my jersey, and uh, I'm going to bless the socks off of you. I'm going to give you a land, and the land is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Does that sound like anything? Boop, 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 boop. Sounds like a garden, doesn't it? 
Oh, and I want you to build a temple in the middle of the land, and I want you to decorate the temple like a garden. And I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so wildly that everyone on earth is going to know who the one true God is, and they're going to be like, can we have some of that? Then we've got the temple, and can someone tell me in the temple who's allowed to go in? Someone yell it out. Who's allowed to go into the Holy of Holies? The priest! Oh my goodness. Addie, when I was your age, I had no idea what the priest thing hold. I was just like, people were up there talking about priests and priesthood and like going into the temple, and I was just like, whoo, this is a little confusing. It's actually not confusing. This is for you. Ready? And you already know this. You're in my Bible class. The idea of a priest is that he's going to go into the presence of God and worship God, and God's going to bless him, and he's going to leave the presence of God and bless the people. That's simple, right? He's going to go into the presence. He's going to come out and bless. He is God's representative But hold the phone. God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 19 that the entire nation of Israel is his holy people, his special possession, a kingdom of... What do you mean everybody in Israel is supposed to be a priest? I thought it was the Levites. No, 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 listen. The whole point of God choosing Abraham, the whole point of God choosing Israel was for Israel to come into the garden, to come into the land, for God to bless them, for them to know God, for them to worship God, and for them to go out of the land and be a light and show the world who the true God is. Look at what Carmen Joy Imes says in her book, Bearing God's Name. The priest was a visual model of the vocation of the entire nation. Just as the high priest represents Yahweh to them, so they must represent Yahweh to the nations. All right, are you guys with me so far? Good. Abraham's family is given a land, and it's a garden, and there's an abundance of everything. They don't need anything. They have enough of everything, and they're going to bless the nations. God's going to bless the nations through them. Got it? Good. Um, and by the way, he gives them his name, which this book, oh my goodness, write it down. It's amazing. God gives Israel his name, and they're going to bear his name. They're going to wear it on their backs. They're going to represent him to the nations, right? What do you think would happen if these representatives started bowing down to other gods? What do you think would happen to the repre- re- to the um, what do you think would happen to God's name and His reputation if His representatives started worshiping other gods? They're literally dragging the name of Yahweh through the mud. And when we get to the book of Jeremiah, the whole book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah saying to the people, God is going to drive you out of the land into exile. You're going to be driven out of the land because you're failing to represent me. 
You're dragging my name through the mud. You want the gods of Babylon? Have them. So God's people are dragged into exile for 70 years. But at the end of Jeremiah in chapter 51, Jeremiah says that God is going to destroy Babylon because of her sins. So God has used Babylon to destroy Israel, but then God's going to destroy Babylon. And he's going to use the Persian Empire to do it. In Jeremiah chapter 51, Jeremiah says, get out of Babylon or you're going to suffer with her in her sins. Yes, that's what John grabbed and used in Revelation chapter 18. Now, at this point of the sermon, if I fail to introduce you to the book of Isaiah, we'll never make sense of any of this. Are you with me? In the book of Isaiah, the nation of Israel has a name, and their name is the servant, right? They're the servant, and how are they serving God? What does it mean that they're God's servant? Well, we already covered that. They represent him, right? When we get to Isaiah chapter 41 to 47, the Israelites have now come out of exile. They're back in the land, but they're accusing God. They're like, man, God, you don't love us. The, the people in Babylon were saying that you're not strong and you neglected us and you let us go into the land. Where are you, God? Who are you, God? Are you even strong? And God's like, whoa, I'm the one who sent you into Babylon. And I didn't do it because I'm neglecting you. I did it to judge you. And in chapter 48 of Isaiah, God's going to do something new. Israel has forfeited their right to represent God. And in 48 and 49 and 50 and 51 and 52 and 53, that's the good one. We're introduced to a new figure. And by the way, this new figure is given the name, the servant. And he's given the name, Israel. He's the new Israel, this figure. And he's the new servant who's going to perfectly represent God to the nations. Whoever this servant is, when he comes... He's going to perfectly show the world who God is. And he's going to specifically do two things. He's going to restore the nation of Israel, and he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Do you see what's going on here? Whoever the figure is in Isaiah 52 and 53... He's going to show the Gentiles who were scattered back at the Tower of Babel who God is, and he's going to welcome them in. God didn't love Israel and hated everybody else. Everybody hated God, and God's going to rescue them by his grace. But how is the servant in Isaiah 53 going to restore Israel? And how is he going to be a light to the Gentiles? Whew. 
He's going to be rejected by his own people. And Isaiah 53 says he's going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He's going to give his life for the sins of the people. And then Isaiah, sa- and then Isaiah says it's the good plan of God to do this. And then all of a sudden, he's alive and he has many descendants. That's the book of Isaiah. The story of the Bible is one where God enters into Babylon and then allows Babylon to kill him. But it was God's good plan to do this. Through the death of the servant in Isaiah 53, Babylon is overthrown. Jesus Christ came onto the scene and he came from heaven. He was God in human flesh and he entered into Babylon to defeat Babylon. He entered into Babylon to defeat Babylon, but Babylon killed him and that's how he was going to defeat Babylon. That's the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, the end of the chapter, Jesus Christ goes down into the underworld and gets the keys of death in Hades. And now all of those who belong to Jesus' death has no hold on you. Wow! This is what Jesus did Jesus came into the world to rescue us, Paul says, from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his dear son. In both Isaiah and in the New Testament, it is those who leave Babylon, taking no part in her idolatry, that are rescued by the servant Jesus, the one who overthrew the evil empire. And what are they rescued to? What are the people of God rescued to? Why does God rescue humanity? Well, isn't it to like save them from hell and take them to heaven when they die? Hey, uh, buddy, how you doing? Uh, Have you heard about Jesus? Uh, Yeah, VBS as a kid. Uh, You know you go to heaven when you die? Uh, I don't know. Well, can you have some time? Yeah, I got some time. All right, Uh, you're a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for you. You deserve hell. If you accept Jesus in your heart, he'll save you, take you to heaven, and you die. You want to do that? Um, Yeah, sure. All right, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, know I'm a sinner. Yep, I prayed it. All right, where are you going when you die? Um, I don't know. You're going to heaven. I'm going to heaven? Yeah, First John five thirteen. These things are written on you believe in the that you be not able to learn. If you did that, okay, I'm going to heaven. Hey, um, by the way, if you have time on Sunday, I want you to come to church, and uh, we'd love to have you come. Uh, I work on Sunday. Oh, all right. Well, if you ever get off work, come. All right, sounds good. Have a good day. Now hold up. Hold up. Miss Kathy Wilkie just told me before the service. She had a man come up to her and say, that she had been working on, by the way, and say, um, I need to be saved. 
I am not minimizing a gospel presentation. What I want to do is tell you that the story of the Bible is the story of how God wants to salvage and save and rescue humanity who belongs to the kingdom of darkness and God wants to call them into his presence to send them out and to represent him. We're not just saved so that we can spend forever with God. But we are, but it's not just that. God wants to completely and radically change you and me from the inside out to conform us into the image of his son so that we can perfectly represent him to the nations. We've got a whole American church full of people who go to church on Sunday and woo, we did it. What time is the ball game today? Every time God calls people into the garden, which is his presence, it is to bless them so they can represent him to the world, calling the world to join them in the land. You and I are living in exile. In a world that continues to raise itself up against God. But we have the presence of God. God has sent us his spirit to lead us out of darkness and into the light. And let me say this this morning. Every generation needs revival Because every generation has its own Babylons to identify and come out of. The moment that I start pointing across the ocean and identifying Babylon over there, I have just failed to identify a Babylon in my culture. Babylon is the systems of this world that rear their heads up against God. And you and I have Babylon, not in our backyard, not in our front yard. We've got it in our homes. And unless you and me identify a Babylon in my home, unless we identify it, we've got no hope of getting out of Babylon. We don't even know what Babylon is. Now, in closing, how do we know what Babylon is in our culture? Well, John actually gives us a hint. Because in the book of Revelation, John depicts Babylon as a harlot. Now, what I want us to do for a moment is I want us to dwell on this thought. And I'll be careful on how I dwell on this thought. But I want us to dwell on this thought. Remember, this is a picture to be stared into, not a code to be deciphered. So I want us to stare into the picture, which is Babylon the harlot. And in chapter 17, she's riding some strange beast that has seven heads and ten horns. We'll get into that in a classroom later. What do you think of when you think of a harlot? 
A harlot offers you pleasure, but you have to pay. You sacrifice everything for momentary pleasure, and you're left with nothing. Babylon offers you the world, but it costs you everything and leaves you empty and alone. In the land, there's always an abundance, but when humans leave God's presence, they lose security, and all of a sudden, everyone is fighting for sustenance. Those who seize power and control take it from the less fortunate, leaving them with nothing. This is always what Babylon looks like. The spirit of contentment and generosity reside in the presence of God while greed and hoarding make their home in Babylon. Babylon offers you the world, but you have to pay to play. She doesn't come through on her promise, and you're left with nothing. You know what Jesus does? You and I have nothing to offer him. And he calls us in by sheer grace and gives us everything. Tim Keller, he says that revival occurs when those who think they already know the gospel discover they do not really or fully know it. Can you imagine if an alien hung out in hot springs for a while in Arkansas? Let's just check out the culture and let's see what these people are into. Oh, he shows up on Sunday morning and here we are. Hallelujah. Jesus is all I need. Oh, only Jesus. Jesus, purify me. Try me like fire. And we leave church and it's sports and hobbies and entertainment and shopping and bigger and better houses and bigger and better cars and stock market and retirement and Hey, uh, sweetie, are we going to church tomorrow? Well, uh, maybe. Let me, let me check my work schedule here. Yeah, you know, I think I can fit it in. Do you think it's possible that we've been duped by Babylon? Now stop. Hold up. I have to say something because before you think for a moment that what I'm suggesting is that even though you don't want to leave Babylon, you really need to leave it or you're going to be destroyed. Hold up, you missed the point. If as you're leaving Sodom and I mean, excuse me. If as you're leaving Babylon, you're looking back because you want it, but you know you shouldn't have it, and you're like, oh, I want Egypt, I want Sodom, oh, we love it, but yeah, we'll worship you, God, but oh, man, we love that. 
Oh, you missed it. Gospel light, we missed it. What if I told you that Babylon is a stinking liar and every time she offers you something, it's a blank check. You fill it in and you go to cash it and there's nothing there. Until you and me realize not just who Babylon is in our culture, but what Babylon is, that it's a harlot and a prostitute who offers us something and doesn't come through, we're always going to look back at Babylon as we're leaving. For most of my life, Gospel Light, I grew up in church. I was in the Preacher Boys Club. I, I won the contest for memorizing the most verses. Everybody was so proud of me. But for most of my life, I have worshipped Jesus, wishing so bad that I could have Babylon. I've missed it. And it is only when you and I... When we taste the goodness of God in Jesus, that we're going to run from Babylon. We want nothing to do with Babylon. It's a dirty liar. Oh, gospel light. Can I ask you this morning to pray with me? In gospel light, this is what I want our prayer to be. I'm not a preacher who's standing up here preaching to you. Christy and I stood in our living room and talked through this sermon this week together. This is for us too. Chloe, this is for you. You're old enough to understand this. I want us, when we go home, to talk about what it is that our heart really wants. And if we're honest, it's probably not Jesus. Because we've believed that Babylon can offer us what only Jesus can. Man, as an American culture, I've spent my whole life growing up trying to look across the water. Is it Iraq? Is it Russia? Who's Babylon? Oh, no. It's right there in your home, Scott. You serve Jesus, and you run to Babylon for pleasure. Because you don't fully know the gospel I have people all the time and they come up to me and they're like man Scott you are so passionate about Jesus oh man when I for the first time as a 21 year old boy begin to understand what the grace of God actually was the strangest thing began to happen to me and the last thing I want to do is paint me as the perfect image of God that you need to follow but I want to tell you the secret 
As I begin to taste the grace of God, it is amazing how Babylon lost its allure. I would get around old Christians who had been walking with the Lord for many years and their lip would start to quiver when the grace of God was talked about and I would look at them and be like, okay, I mean, maybe, maybe when I get that old. Some of you in the room today, you're looking at me, you're like, Scott, let's go back to the start of the service. I'm with you. Like, I don't even want revival. It's not something that I really want. You're there. That's where you need to be. Until the Holy Spirit of God lifts up the cross in your mind and you see Babylon for what it really is, you'll never be passionate about Jesus. I'm praying for my son. He's just, you know, he's running from the Lord and he just, you know, he just needs a little bit of Jesus. No. Your son loves Babylon. And no one's ever told him that Babylon's a liar. And he just keeps going back for another fix and another fix and another fix. And when Babylon's destroyed, all the kings of the world and all the merchants mourn. And they've got nothing. God wants to call you and me in the sun. He wants to call us into his presence and bless us so that we can leave his presence and represent him to the world. Isn't that amazing? I tell you what, Gospel Light, I know I cried a little bit in this sermon and I know it was a little bit of a heavy sermon and I think sometimes we need that because we're so surrounded by Babylon and we love it. So, I mean, I get all that, but man, can I just end on a positive note with some unbelievable news? God is calling you and me no matter what your occupation is, into his presence, and he wants to bless you. Unbelievably, he wants to bless you. Woo, boy. Uh, you mean, uh, Pastor Scott, when I come into the presence of God, I'm going to get rich and I can buy everything in Babylon? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't think you got it. He's going to bless you with an abundance so you can leave the garden and go into Babylon and pull other people in. That's the gospel and that is what this world needs. Now we got a country today, Gospelite. I'm going to be honest with you. I know I'm going long on this sermon. Give me another couple minutes. We've got a country today and if you're a Republican, well, then you're a Christian too, right? Isn't that how this works? And those stinking liberals, man, if we could just ever get them out of office and all the Republicans could get in office, then what? Well, we wouldn't pay as much taxes. We could have more money to go into Babylon and buy toys. I mean, the capitalistic system, it's the right one. I mean, everybody gets rich. So we can all buy our toys in Babylon. 
gospel light, don't be duped. Jesus is the king, and Jesus won the victory. He did it then. He's doing it now, and he's going to do it. He's going to come back. And it's only those who left Babylon that enter the land. And oh, by the way, I'll save this for another sermon, but go read Revelation chapter 22. Do you know what the land is? Woo! It's a city, and it's a garden, and it fills the whole earth. <laughs> yes, it does. Revelation 22, the back of the book. You and me are ruling with Jesus. We've been rightfully restored to our place as his representatives. And it's all because of Jesus. Woo! That, gospel light, is the message that America needs. Get out of Babylon because it's, it's, it's a liar and it's never going to succeed on its promise. Almighty Father, Father, I'm asking you right now through your spirit to reveal our hearts, to reveal the gods that we've bowed down to, that, we would, that you would reveal Babylon in our culture. Gospel light, would you look at me this morning? We call this an altar. And an altar is a place where animals are sacrificed. <laughs> Why do we call this an altar? Uh, because Paul says that we're supposed to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. I'm going to invite you. This is not me twisting your arm or trying to give you some emotion. I'm going to invite each and every one of you to come down to this altar. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to do it. And I'm going to ask you to lay your life down on the altar and ask God to reveal to you who Babylon is. You can stand and you can come.